Welcome to Merrickville. Welcome to Monday, Sydney. Seriously, Mondays it can be a bit ordinary and a bit unfun because you're the back at the start of the week. But not here! No way! It's going to be very exciting. Thank you very much, Mez. Uh, I've got a... I've got a little bit of an accent feeling today. Yeah. Uh, I think later on in the show we're going to be discussing Dunkirk. Yes. And I can feel some German accents coming on. Oh, 100%. Maybe some French accents. Good, because I can't do French. I can cover the Germans, but I mm. can't do French. So that'd be fantastic. Let's just make I had, it I had an, Lawrence an appalling Triton. historical depiction of, of the events of Dunkirk with some accents. Because I think there might have been some South Africans and some Dutch people at that <laughs> battle as well. I was going to say, I heard Lawrence do his French accent today on the phone, Mez. You're not the only one who can't do it. Oh, really? No. Nah. Fantastic. You know I, don't, I think there was like some Asian people of oh, yeah, indiscriminate there origin there too. There was, there, and you don't just, know. Oh, yeah. I mean, hard to say. I mean... Yeah. Be racist not to include them. <laughs> it's always a good day when you start off before you even go to air with your mm. producer speaking to Lawrence Mooney about how the subject of Big Mal's voicemail today has to be <laughs> run past the legal department and we're not even on air. Mm. Well, that's something to look forward to because uh, uh, it's so controversial that part of Christopher Pine's <laughs> contribution to Big Mal's voicemail has been cut in half. Mm. So that we don't end up in front of some kind of commission mm. or the Senate. Mm. Dave Towers, terrific bloke, listens to the show uh, as a regular. And uh, he suggested to me just yeah. then on Twitter, he said, oh, Lawrence and Merrick are doing um, accents today. Get the lawyers ready. Re- mm. Ready, mate. <laughs> we've, got, yeah, yeah. we've just engaged a second firm. Yeah. We're just standing over there by the uh, ACDC pinball machine <laughs> with their pens ready. Ready to go. First story of today is a local mm. story, Loz. Um, it was a rescue off Wanda Beach in Cronulla over the weekend. Two blokes, Wazim and Al, uh, went fishing in the afternoon. Oh. and Guys. They uh, had a bit of an incident, had a mischief with their, with their fishing boat. It capsized two kilometres off uh, Wanda, Bre- Wanda Beach. And they were in freezing waters for four and a half hours before wow. being rescued by a helicopter. Were they wearing life jackets, Mez? No. They no. were not. And as that boat went over, Wazim and Al would have looked at one another and gone, we're in big shit here. Yeah. You know <laughs> what? Like, you know what? I, I understand sometimes you don't want to wear a life jacket because it is going to cover your Lonsdale windsheeter and you want that exposed. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes you don't want to wear a life jacket because you're in the car and they're mm. bulky or in your, yep. you're in the shower and what's the point? But sometimes <laughs> you're in a boat mm. that's going to capsize and I reckon that's the time you might want to slip it on. Again, again, Lonsdale, I'm, it's, Lonsdale. I'm looking at you, Lonsdale. Yep. Maybe you need to make some sort of safety floating devices mm. that people can wear. What about an inflatable bum bag? Inflatable bum bag. Yeah. So there you go. Uh, you go in the water, those. you pull on the tag, yeah. the bum bag Bang. goes... Holy shit! And it just explodes. It actually speaks to you as it does it. Yeah. Saves your life. It actually drowns you because it's around your waist. But the point is, the bum bag says as it inflates, "Are you chasing, mate? Are you chasing?" <laughs> now, uh, Wazim and Al uh, were clinging to their upturned boat for almost four hours until one of the fishermen decided to swim back under the vessel and retrieve the emergency beacon. Now, here's the thing: is that I have on a very good authority that Wazim and Al were never actually fishing at all and what that they, they doing they had in fact killed a wrx and were burying it at sea <laughs> <laughs> they had powered their boat with the wrx X. yep they could hear the boat the coast guard could hear yep. Whoop, boop, 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 boop. Yep. 
Did you just try and like, pull off a WRX engine underwater? It's, no, it's no. actually very accurate. No, it's more of a that was a Nissan Skyline, but yeah, I hope was. no one would notice. It was a bit, it was a bit Zilla, <laughs> but it, hey, I, I was there. It, it worked for me. So but in true I, Nettie Smith fashion, they took the WRX. You know what they did? They told the WRX, hey, we're just going to go do some fishing. And the WRX oh. was like, oh, yeah, cool. Let's just hang out. Any other Subarus there? Yeah, it's going to be heaps of Subarus. It's going to go out there, <laughs> just going to do some fishing, have a few cans. And what's before they the, knew it. What's with the heater? Why, what have you got the heater for? What's that? I'm just going to tie that to your spare tire. See you, mate. Bye, WRX. Two Ks off the beach at Wanda. See ya. Never to be seen again. So that's Until, what of course, their boat capsized and someone swam under. This is pretty good to get their EPIRB. Yep. The Emergency Pit Positioning Indicating Radio yep. Beacon. That's, that's heroic stuff. Saved their lives mm. and, more importantly, saved the Lonsdale Windsheeter, which was <laughs> drenched. And they managed to make it back to safety after being rescued by a helicopter. I've got to say, I have been rescued. What? Uh, I was in Bali and uh, a couple of years ago, I was caught in a rip. And uh, I was getting dragged What's her out name? To Come on, be honest. Mm. What's her name? <laughs> and hello to you, Winita, if you're listening. Um, I was caught in a rip. And uh, Mez, what's the first thing they tell you to do if you're caught in a rip and you're being dragged out to sea? I think we all know. Swim as hard as you can against it. Mm, or That's panic. Right. Swim as hard yeah. as you can against it. Do not put down the bin tank. Mm. Well, they actually say relax, don't they? Just relax as this force of nature drags you away from all that's safe and familiar out into a sea where you can be swallowed by a monster. Just relax. (laughs) Just relax. It's not the exact words they use, but... Uh, And, of course, it's arbitrary. How long is it going to go for a rip? 700 metres, 17 kilometres. Who knows? Just relax. I mean... Don't panic because you'll die. Yeah, exactly. Don't panic. You're in Lombok Mm. now. Okay, whatever. I took your advice and I thrashed against that rip for a good 20 seconds and I was exhausted <laughs> and I was drowning and I screamed. I screamed <laughs> like a panic-stricken tiny child and a New Zealander came out on a longboard, just yeah. like paddled out very casually towards me. From New Zealand or was he in Bali? No, he was yeah. in It's Bali a massive effort. What a massive yeah. effort. South Island, uh, came from Christchurch mm. and he uh, dragged my gelatinous invertebrate body onto mm. the board, and uh, then he was racist. <laughs> then he was racist. Really? He said, "You have a big night, bro." And I went, "That's well, that's just stereotyping. That is not right." Stereotyping drunk, drunk white Australians. Mm. Mm. And uh, had no, you had a massive that. night the night before? I had. I'd had a massive <laughs> three months in London. It was a three-month bender, and. Uh, I was puffed walking how into the water. How dare he? How dare he? That's disgusting. That's what we're trying to break Racism. down, those kind of stereotypes. I like that here. Filthy I like... racist. <laughs> anyway, I, no, I couldn't actually say you're a racist through the sobbing uh, <laughs> as he paddled me back to shore. Oh, God, I nearly drowned. <laughs> okay. I want to take it to the next spirit. I want to take it back to the next level here, Laws. One, triple, three, five, three. Let's see how we go with this. Have you ever been rescued? By a chopper, or even if a chopper has oh. just been called out because of you. Mm. Like if you're the person, you're the guy or the girl that has forced a chopper to go and take, you know, action because of you. You know, you might have been winched out of a, a national forest. You might have been spotted out because your boat's conked out of gas because you let Troy go and get the diesel. And Troy went and got unleaded petrol and put it into oh. a diesel motor. That's probably a Troy thing to do. Whatever has happened, one triple three five three. Have you been rescued by a chopper? Oh, Calls coming through already. Triple M.
Loz and I are talking about the two fishermen, Wazim and Al, who were rescued, fortunately, two Ks off Wanda Beach in Cronulla, uh, where they had gone out fishing. Their boat capsized, and they're lucky to be here. Oh, we're pretty afraid, but we just tried to stay mentally strong so we can get home to our families and not die out there. So who made the decision to dive under the boat in darkness and try and find the EPIRB? Oh, to be honest with you, we were talking about it the whole time for four hours. We were bribing each other with money and everything. But at the end of it, I went down and got it. It wasn't mandatory to wear the life jacket, although we know how to swim. Um, we knew we were safe out there. Um, we hadn't put anyone else's life in danger. Everyone that helped us knew what they were doing and had experience in what they were doing. Having said that, they were very fortunate that they received the services of the Ed Hardy helicopter that flew out to <laughs> save their life. <laughs> I'll tell you what, the Ed Hardy helicopter, there are a bunch of brave people that put their lives at risk for men that love loud T-shirts and acid wash jeans with lots of jewels on the pockets. Yeah. And, <coughs> but the, the most important thing is to say mentally tough yep. uh, and, that's and what, strong. Absolutely. Mm. Uh, saved by a, a chopper. Now, we just thought we'd do stand, <laughs> stand a call out. Maybe there'd be one or two people. No, there's not. There's dozens, dozens of calls. Um, when have you been rescued by a helicopter? Hello, Hayden in Winston Hills. Hey, mate, how you doing? Yeah, very good indeed. You've been saved by a chopper? Oh, well, not, not exactly, actually. Um, so I was in year eight at school and my mates were playing in their cricket grand final, so I rode my bike down to show my support. Anyway, after the game, rode down some stairs, fell off, and, uh, and I broke my arm. I was pretty confident I'd broken it straight away. I walked up, told one of the parents, that I was like, listen, you're going to have to get me an ambulance or something. I wasn't wearing a helmet or anything, and uh, anyway, they they called the uh, ambulance. Lost in translation, they've accidentally sent three police cars, two ambulances, and the uh, child fight helicopter because they think I've been run over. <laughs> oh. <laughs> what? <laughs> Did you get in the helicopter? Uh, unfortunately, I didn't because obviously I they they started the ambos had started drugging me up at the at this point. And then the helicopter guys come into the room. I was like, what are you guys doing here? And they're like, oh, have you been run over? I was like, no. And then I had three police officers come over to me and go, which car hit you? Which one ran you over? I was like, what are you talking about? Oh, my God. Oh. It, you fell off your bike. Is what it, yeah, and all I did, all I'd done was fall off my bike. It was a, suspect, a suspected fracture. So it wasn't even a proper break. It's not even like, you know, a compound through the bone, through the arm or anything. It's pretty good. I literally had to wear a cast for two weeks. That's it. The finest little crack. That's amazing. Unfortunately, somebody on a horrific road accident has just somebody's walked up and gone, Did you stack your bike? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and going, no, no, Someone no. I'm, I'm, pinned, I'm pinned underneath a B double. Are you sure you didn't stack your bike? And where are the stairs anyway? I mean... <laughs> oh, Blake and Reevesby, hello. Hey, young ladies. Very good indeed, mate. All right. Have you needed or in some way enjoyed the delights of a rescue helicopter? Uh, yeah. Uh, so me and my mate a couple of years ago decided to do the uh, Everest Base Camp trek. Yep. Mm. And uh, I like, we I like how you up, said that like we we're going to be impressed, but you did say the Everest Base Camp trek, which means that you yeah. had absolutely no crack at Everest proper. You just went to the base camp. Which yeah. where, you, where you can still... Die. Yeah, but that's like, seriously, that's like me saying, <laughs> I went to Kokoda. Well, I didn't go to Kokoda. I went to Port Moresby. So, you know. Where where you can also die. <laughs> but in a machete attack. <laughs> At duty free. Anyway, okay, Blake. Um, so as we were going up, I started feeling a bit bad. And um, while we got to the top, I uh, 
I started coughing up blood and oh. um, blood blood was coming out of my ears and oh, uh, right. now yeah. I feel bad, don't I? <laughs> so um, yeah, my stomach was killing me as well. So I had to get the chopper all the way back down to the, the hospital, and they told me that I had uh, severe um, altitude sickness and um, food poisoning. Oh. So the the altitude uh, sickness would have been, you know, causing the blood, but yeah, the, yeah but the expulsion in the the back end there that was food poisoning as well. Yeah, yeah, that's so. Not the, fair. Have that's... the Sherpas got actual like helicopters, or are they made out of sticks and stuff like on <laughs> Gilligan's Island? Blake's <laughs> <laughs> not even responding. No, Blake's just. Blake started to bleed. The Sherpa are wonderful again. people who are very dear to uh, Blake's heart, and you offended of, them, Lawrence. Yeah, a couple of yak powered helicopters have come in. What was that yak? Two blokes just carried him all the way down, making a helicopter noise. <laughs> God, I'm naked. Your turn, Tenzig. Tenzig! <laughs> the only Sherpa name anyone ever knows. Oh. You got one more. <laughs> oh, Adam in Castle Hill. Hello, mate. Hey, mate. How you going? Yeah, really good. Have you been rescued by a helicopter? All right. Let, let me set the scene. Yep. Mm. Um, I live living with my brother for a while, and he's come home one day, and he says, do you want to get a, a baby lamb for your son? And I went, oh, yeah, that's pretty cool. Is this out of the so Bible, goes, this right. story? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no way. It's Adam. So he's come home. Yeah, Adam, yeah. the brother comes home the next day and he goes, I've got the lamb, it's out the back. I go have a look and I said to him, that's a sheep, not a lamb. He goes, the guy said it's a sheep, uh, a lamb, it's a sheep. No, I said, no, it's a sheep. The next thing we know, it's jumped the fence and taken off down the street. And he goes, oh, what do we do? And I said, I don't know, call the cops. So we call the cops. They call animal control. They ended up calling, having a helicopter flying around Castle Hill with a spotlight chasing a sheep with about 20 police cars and my brother in his car chasing his sheep all around Castle Hill. Jesus. And, and it turns out it was just down the tab having a couple of quiet schooners. <laughs> yeah. But everywhere they went, it would jump the fence and it would keep going. It would go down the main road. Every, they were, it went on for about an hour. It's the worst version of waltzing Matilda I've ever heard. <laughs> Here comes the money. Sorry, I think you've forgotten the bit where you give me some money. Because someone has to pay Merrick's salary. Here's a word from our sponsor. G'day, Mark Howard here. A year ago, I started the Howie Games podcast, which has given me a fantastic opportunity to chat with some of the biggest names in world sport. Now, at times, the episodes get pretty emotional, like Ricky Ponting talking about his son. Two uh, two lots of three weeks at a time in intensive care where um, you're just not really sure what's going to happen. But, um, no, he got through the first one fine, and then... When he got to six months of age, he had an, another pretty serious infection that we didn't know anything about, the doctors didn't know much about. And, yeah, that was the scariest one because he was sort of shut down for, well, he was, I think, uh, sedated for about four or five days at, at one stage with um, where he couldn't open his eyes. And, um, yeah. Yeah, well, I can obviously see the effect it has on you, mate, which is why it's... Um and now you've got me upset. That's what happens when you've got young kids, mate. Um, Fucking deep breathing. Get on with it, eh? You can listen to the Howie Games at podcastone.com.au or via the Podcast One app. Now we're going to do Big Mal's voicemail. 
and mm. we could be under some pressure legally afterwards. Well, it has been under pressure. There's been a lot of scrutiny directed towards Big Mel's voicemail, and as everyone knows, we've got unfettered access to the Prime Minister, whether he be in the Lodge, Kirribilli or Point Piper. And uh, he's very happily jumping into the Greens this week because they've lost two senators and taken mm. a little bit of the glow off him. So let's find out what's happening in the voicemail. It's the Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull speaking. Well, the Greens are in complete disarray with two senators having to resign because they had dual citizenship. It's amateur hour at Hippie Central. If you want to be in the main game, then behave like adults. There's a box asking you what your nationality is. Just answer the question. And here's some other suggestions for the Greens or Green voters. Wash your hair. Buy some clothes made by a fashion label, not crocheted by a filthy market stall holder called Moonbeam. Vaccinate your children. And remember, there are other vehicles apart from a Subaru Forester. But most importantly, check your nationality if you're entering federal politics. Is there something you've forgotten to do? Leave a message. Uh, hello, uh, Mr. Prime Minister. It's uh, Rudy Vanderstone here, the stereotypical Dutchman from Medicville. Uh, yes, I forgot to check something very important, Vance. Uh, I was going to a music festival with my wife, Marta. We were driving to Hayes Van to Dusseldorf, and uh, I had some hashish secreted in my underwear, and uh, there were sniffer dogs at, at uh, the entrance, and uh, a Rottweiler locked onto my genitals. <laughs> And uh, two of one of my testes off. Uh, I was tripping at the time and uh, didn't realise until later when I was uh, in the doof doof tent and uh, passed out from blood loss. It's Rudy. Hello, Jackie. It's Malcolm Turnbull speaking. I can't understand a word you're saying. Open your face holder and enunciate. Use your articulating devices. Lips, teeth and the tip of the tongue, Jackie. Well, I didn't really have anything to add. I just want to say, you know, that's all for you. Turnbull! It's Lazarus, you kayak paddling scarf wearing oyster shucking Tony little suffragette, your fake tan slim spectacle, cockle walk, lord of the manor, plummy voice, cheer seat, sucky heirloom, carrot peeling tool bag. <laughs> I forgot to check your head with me elbow. I forgot to inspect your nose with me forehead. I forgot to kick your nurries with me steel cap. Hello, Glenn. Yep, too far. All right, it's Lazarus. Some of you may have seen it. It absolutely smashed the oh. box offices on the weekend. The new film Dunkirk uh, by Christopher Nolan. Uh, Lodge, you're yet to see it too, aren't you? I haven't seen it, but uh, very familiar with uh, what happened at the beginning of the Second World War when all those Englishmen were trapped mm-hmm. in Dunkirk in France and uh, had no way of getting out and the the, uh, the Germans were pretty much just slaughtering them. We've got a little Actually, bit of the trailer here, Miss. Yeah, but... The enemy tanks have stopped. Why? Why waste precious tanks when they can pick us off from the air like fish in a barrel? There are 400,000 men on this beach. 
Yeah, an incredible film. It's already got five-star reviews. Everyone is raving about it. As I said, it's gone nuts at the box mm. office. This is Christopher Nolan who made like Inception. And he, uh, Inception? I think he made Inception. Made some of the Batmans he too. Made, and... He made Batman, Batman, Batman a Dark Rises, Dark Knight Rises. And all that. He made some pretty good films. Anyway, look him up. Duke, whatever. A dark He's, Rises. Oh, <laughs> you know, I, um, that's another film that was that's not made by film. him. Uh, uh, but, I, I actually saw the, the trailer at, at the, uh, the cinema mm. and all these fishermen come to save the guys. They, they yes. leave England and come across the English Channel. Flotilla of and, civilians. And when they were getting carved up by the planes, I thought, this is the worst John West ad I've ever seen. <laughs> this is, I mean, these fishermen. Why do the just, Nazis hate tuna fishermen so yeah, much? Because it's the fish that John West rejects. <laughs> John West has gone, no, thank you. No. Head out there and all these yeah. salmon farmers head out and he's gone, oh, what? Just shoot John West up. has just said, Get the Nazis just to mow them down. But yeah. apparently Loz isn't the only person unimpressed with the film or yeah, parts of yeah. the film. This is interesting. Uh, the French are very, very annoyed. Oh, oh, oh. Au contraire, um, we are being depicted very police. So they're from a French newspaper, Le Monde, says uh, it's a scathing rudeness and deplorable indifference towards France for its role in the Dunkirk evacuation mm. of 1940. Well, hang on a second. You know what your role was? Eating bread with some uh-huh. butter on it while everyone else is getting mowed down on the beaches. Also, escargot, uh, lapin de jour, vichy soir. I mean, we had the old menu. You know that. Not just some of the menu. Uh, the one... You know that accent work we mentioned we were a bit nervous about at the start of the show? Mm-hmm. We're, we're into it now. Uh, I, well, I made uh, it seamless. I didn't even notice it. That was <laughs> It was like being may, in Paris. You may recognize me. I am the skunk. Yep. From the Warner Brothers cartoons. Rive gauche, as I would say. Absolutely. Mm. So, uh, critique Jacques Mandelbaum, very critical of the film. He wrote, Where in the film are the 120,000 French soldiers who were also evacuated from Dunkirk? I don't know, mate. Did you check the brothels? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and where are all the French prostitutes also that were on the beach? <laughs> no, that's... Probably waiting. too far. They yep, were the waiting lawyers, for the Germans. The they were waiting for the Germans to come. Oh, that's rough. No, oh, that's that a bad time. Okay, maybe too far. Do you know oh. what? Uh, it's not the first time that a lot of, uh, you know, our nationality of soldiers has been left out of a movie. Private Ryan, mm. uh, you know, is only American soldiers on Omaha Beach. But, you know, there's a lot of English soldiers... Yep. As part of that D-Day invasion as well. Absolutely. Completely ignored by Spielberg. Absolutely. If you look at the film Gallipoli, we've done it ourselves, so we should know, right? The film Gallipoli, uh, you know, where we see Mel Gibson and that other dude, mm. and they're just, they're taking on the Turks, and it's, you know, it's an absolute pitch battle. Yeah. Just up the road a bit, a whole heap of Indians, Sikhs, yeah. went out to battle side by side with Australians. What did we do? Left them out. We just went, oh, we can't and tell. And also, one we of can't those tell trenches. What, we can't tell what religion they are. Some of them have got turbans on. We're so confused. I know. Let's just leave them out. Okay, great idea. Just to get somebody eating an Anzac biscuit, that'll do. Also, in Gallipoli, Private Ryan and Dunkirk, there was two Dutchmen. Uh, <laughs> and they're just uh, going, sick of being left out of it just because they were stoned and uh, riding a bicycle. Going, you know what? Actually, mean, you know, are you a little bit furious about this? This, this disgraceful. He's going, look at this. Here comes the Miss Schmidt. The Miss Schmidt are going. We've got yeah. no guns. We're I'm just smoking unarmed. my pipe. And uh, doing some abstract realism. Uh, why, why were there two Dutchmen just in the middle of the one, battles? One of, the, one of them had just opened up a clog factory. And it had gone to <laughs> And I was French. trying to grow some tulips on the beach. And everyone keeps trampling them. <laughs> what we're trying to do is uh, tell everyone how to do their job properly. 
because yeah. we're experts on everything. That's uh, what we do. <laughs> he had his lay there trying to make some clocks because <laughs> they're bulletproof. <laughs> <laughs> the most important thing of Scotia is that they throw it on the water. So mm. they, they didn't actually need the, the civilian bosch. They could just take yeah. any clocks. You can look, you can dinner, look. straight to freedom. I don't know whether you know this, Liam, because you're from Adelaide. <laughs> uh, but you can row home in the clock if you want to. So the French shouldn't be upset. It's the Dutch who would be very <laughs> angry. They're never represented. <laughs> <laughs> They're always uh, treated very poorly. <laughs> Eric, do you, exactly. to, do you want to say goodbye to Rudy and oh, Lawrence? Oh, Lawrence, always a pleasure, mate. I'll catch up with you again on Thursday. See you Thursday, See you there, Warwick Curry College in Blacktown is allowing students to smoke. Children as young as 15 are allowed to light up cigarettes uh, during lunch and recess breaks. Oh, come on. Little play. <laughs> during big play and little play. Uh, in an attempt to get students back to the classroom. Now, the school, I've done a little bit of research into it. When I say that, I've read one article. Uh, it says that the school's got a lot of kids who come from broken backgrounds, you know, that uh, might have family situation. They might have had mental health issues. They're a, a different type of kid that goes to this school, and they need uh, a different type of education standard to assist them along that. And I actually think that they should be given leeway in lots of ways, whether or not they should be allowed to smoke, I don't know about that. Principal Caroline Blandon told the Daily Telegraph, uh, at my school, you can come with bright blue hair and metal in your face, and if you need to have a smoke, that's okay too. Uh, hold on. I, I appreciate the, you know, the come with bright blue hair and metal in your face and the open learning environment mm. and making mm. it as accessible as possible, but isn't it illegal to smoke under the age of 18? Uh, yeah. That's one of the that's one. I of would the have thought that's probably the the watermark I don't actually for your know, decision making. I don't actually know whether or not I think it's illegal to sell or to procure cigarettes for somebody eighteen. I don't know actually whether or not it's illegal to smoke. Oh, okay. So there might be a little uh-huh. bit of a loophole. Loophole. There. Well done. So, uh, but the interesting thing there is that you know she said <laughs> smoking is the least of our problems yeah. when, we, when we've got disadvantaged students. When you're trying to give them an education, if they get stressed. And they, they something triggers them, and they need to go and have a smoke. They're like, "Yeah, go and do that." The only thing they do is also offer Milo, um, <laughs> not to smoke. Lines of not it, not to smoke. Jesus Christ! It would give you, it would give you a chocolatey buzz, though, wouldn't the, it? The concern, I, I imagine, there might be a possible concern. I know they're thinking short term. We got bigger problems Milo than smoking. The, the, Milo, the food smoke. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. A Milo a day. No, that's mm. the wrong chocolate. Um, mm. but, uh, sh- but is there not potential for, in the same way that contact sports are now considering long-term concussion issues for their players is because yeah. they don't want to get turned around and get sued in 40 years' time, is there not a chance that if some of these kids develop lung cancer, yeah, yeah. they could be facing a class action from, yeah, yeah. you know, it's, look, it's, little Johnny and Sally there's, who are allowed there, to dart up when they were 14? On any on any level, it's problematic, right? Because if you've got 15-year-olds at the school and they're currently c- cigarette smokers and they encourage through peer group pressure, they encourage others to then light up, then those people subsequently could argue that they had been encouraged under a systematic issue, mm. that they were encouraged to smoke, it gave them uh, an addiction, yada, yada, yada. It's mm. fraught with problems. But having said that, as the school said, that is the least of their problems. I don't know. I'm not going to get engaged in that. But now, that's way too, uh, that's a heavy conversation for us to get into. People are calling through, I don't know, they're interested or, or they just want to talk to Ugly Phil. I mean, that happens. Um... <laughs> Not very often. I want to know Not if he's for, actually uh, ugly. As, as, yeah, he is. Confirmed. Calls have <laughs> dropped off. Uh, Liam and uh, Maddie, my producers, are in the studio with me now. Uh, Maddie, how old are you? 33. And 32. 32. All right. So I'm 43. 
And I come from a different time, right? When smoking wasn't as uh, bad as it is now. We kind of it was bad. It was yeah. just t- tolerated on a different level to the point where my mum smoked when she was pregnant with me. Can you tell? Can you <laughs> no, tell? No. Let's correct that mess because it was still as bad for you back then as it is now. Mm. You just didn't, it was, the society didn't think it was as bad. The first time I ever got on a jet plane when I was a kid with my parents, the hostie, who pushed the trolley dolly, you know, like push the trolley of the drinks down yeah. the aisle. The first yeah. time I'd ever seen one in my life, the woman pushing in the trolley was smoking no. on the plane. She worked for oh, the airline. Asking you chicken or fish. Having a dart. Wow. She's No, it was menthol or regular. And I was like, I'm a kid. I'm a kid. I'm a kid. Menthol. Menthol. Thank you. I want a minty after, aftertaste. Yours came with a toy. Excuse me. I'm nine. I want a minty aftertaste. It does. <laughs> it's, it kill so us, it was a kill, different. It was killer surprise. Yeah, it was a different time. It was a very different time, and that's what I want to open up this, the the calls to. Because here's the thing: like, I've told you guys some of the things, like you know, you, parents used to smoke in cars. That was never. I used to light cigarettes for my parents when they were driving. Because oh, 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 hey, oh, whoa! <laughs> stop judgment. They can't take their eyes off the road. You fools! <laughs> I've got to help them out. I've got to. I've got to push the lighter in. Let it heat up, pull it out, light the durry for mum, oh. pass her over the durry. Yeah, light the durry. No, I, I've just, you reminded me that of when cars used to have cigarette lighters in them. Yes. yes. I remember those. Yeah, you're too busy plugging your MP3 or whatever it is into that. Yeah. Or an electrical device, one of whatever you put in there, I'm not sure. But the fact is, people, the parents used to smoke in cars, used to smoke in meetings. Like we used to have teachers at school, they'd just go out the back of the woodwork shop, bang, light up a durry or a joint, whatever was going at the oh. time. No, I'm not even kidding. So this is what I want to do, because I've got two young producers, Sydney. I said them, I want some old school smoking stories. I'm certainly not encouraging it, because I think that it's 10 years since we banned um, smoking in venues in New South Wales, 10 years since the banned in pubs and in restaurants, and I, I'm so grateful for it. Certainly, I used to smoke. That was a big thing for helping me get away from cigarettes. 100% one of the best things of all time was the fact that they banned it from venues. It made me not want to smoke anymore, because you'd go outside and you look, you know, like you've not wanted. That's, that's why I. That's why I. I never really took up smoking. Was because and you're not tough enough. When I was 16, I was working as a glassy in a pub, and you were still allowed Just, to smoke. Yep. And so I'd go to school the next day stinking, stinking of cigarettes. Yeah, I mean, all foul. my teachers thought I had a problem, but you know. Yeah. Well, you did. You were from Adelaide. Yeah. But the, <laughs> there's other problems as well. Now, what I want to do one triple three five three. I'm going to premise this by saying, if I told you now. You wouldn't believe me, right? That's what I've done to these young blokes today. I've said, if if I tell you now, you wouldn't believe me. You know, airline hosties smoking on the job. That's ridiculous. On the job in an aircraft in the 80s. It was definitely on Tiger, wasn't it? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> if I told you now, you wouldn't believe me. Tell them. Tell these young guys, these young people listening and my and my producers, tell them how insane smoking was in the bad old days. Here comes the money. Sorry, I don't. think you've forgotten the bit where you give me some money. Because someone has to pay Merrick's salary. Here's a word from our sponsor. Adam McDougall is the health hacker. Health hacking is simply hacking into the tools, tricks, and routines of the healthiest, happiest, and most successful people in the world and applying these little tricks and routines into your own life. I'm a health hacker because I've been a professional athlete for 20 years, but I've also combined my experience as an athlete with my university studies, from economics to nutrition and sports science, with the practical application that I achieved as an athlete to help people hack into their health. 
In each episode, I'm going to share with you the tools, tricks, and routines of the healthiest, happiest, and most successful people in the world. You can hack into your own health and live a happier and healthier life. The Health Hacker with Adam McDougall. Listen now at podcastone.com.au or download the Podcast One app. Talking about a college in Blacktown that's going to allow its students to smoke at school and I want to say students, we're talking about like teenagers. It seems like a massive step back when you consider that 10 years ago we banned smoking from venues. And I reckon it's been for the better. I personally don't smoke anymore and I know some people do, but it just, it's not, it's not cool. But here's the thing. When you talk to young people now and you tell them about the craziness of smoking now, like the fact even people smoking in their own homes now, just like, what are you? Are you Al-Qaeda? Because that's how you get treated. Because it's illegal to smoke in your car now while you're driving. Yes, it is. If you have other passengers uh, who are under the age of 18, I think it is. Oh, I thought it was because you have to have one hand off the wheel. I presume that they'd made it. I thought they'd made it illegal. No, you see because people smoking all the time, but you're not allowed to smoke with children in the ah, car. Right, okay. Uh, and in homes too, I don't think they they banned it, but they certainly discourage it. And you shouldn't. You shouldn't smoke like that. I mean, you shouldn't also smoke if you have Merrick Watts in utero. It's a small ah, thing, ah. whatever. Uh, but it's it's a different time. But those stories, particularly from the eighties, where you just go, I can't even believe that. As I said, I saw a hostie in the eighties, the first time I'd ever been on a jet airplane. I think it was, and. Uh, I got on and the hostie was just having a dart. Just, oh, would you like a little mini can of Schweppes or would you like a menthol? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I think I might have the can of Schweppes. Thanks. James in Silverwater. Hello, mate. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Okay. Tell us about the, like, just remind us and tell, inform young people how crazy smoking was in the 80s. All right. 1987, I had my first job for the Commonwealth Bank and I was a teller. And I was allowed to have a smoke lit beside me when I was serving people. The only thing was I wasn't allowed to uh, inhale when I was actually in the act of serving someone. But in between customers, I could chip away to my heart's content. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Does it, doesn't it just sound insane, James? It does. But you were talking about the plane before. The only way they could differentiate smoking and non-smoking was a pull-across curtain <laughs> in between two sets of seats. That's right. That's right. And it used to be like all the smokers were up the back of the plane. So because my parents smoked, if we ever went traveling, we'd have to be right up the arse end of the plane because my parents, my, particularly my mum, my mum was just, my mum's still smoking for Australia. And they'd just, they'd just be chuffing away and just be there as a young kid just going, oh, fortunately. My first, my first ever trip on a plane, I actually had to get the, um, the ashtray clean, clean four times in between here and Hawaii. Oh, God. <laughs> James. All right, thanks, mate. We've got so many calls. This is incredible. We've got Phil in Chatswood. Hello, Phil. How you going, mate? All right? Yeah, very good, mate. All right, let's give everybody a healthier reminder of how bad smoking was in the 80s. You used to be able to smoke in Maccas. They, Maccas had their own little ashtrays. That's right. That, and they'd blow away in the wind quite famously. They were, they were just like these tiny little... They were like ashtrays. pie tins. They were like little pie tins, weren't they? Yeah, and then you'd, just, you'd, have, you'd dash one little ash out and then... You'd put it out, and then it just blow away in the wind. Yeah, I'm. I'm kind of glad that McDonald's has moved on to McCafe, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. as opposed to McSmoko. You don't see as many ashtrays. Did you ever make your? You surely, given what you just told me about your mm. parents' smoking habits and your arts and craftiness, you would have mm. made your mum and dad uh, an ashtray, ashtray at school. school. Nah, mate. Nah, mate. I never had time. I was too busy making a bong. Uh, Grant in Penrith. Hello. Hi, mate. Two right. issues. Um, one I can remember from about five or six. Uh, you jump on the on the bush. You go down the local uh, 
takeaway shop and you buy milk and bread and a packet of smokes for mum and dad. Yep. And uh, another thing, when I started work, travelling from Penrith into the city, um, they had a whole section of the train was for smoking. Oh, wow. That's right. There was a smoker's carriage, wasn't there? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, mate, you, I, you, for, you I forgot about that. Cut it almost. You walk in there, it's like a cloud. Yeah. It just was rank, but still, they, they kept <laughs> yeah. going. And I, I think, and they, they wouldn't let the windows down or anything like that because otherwise that would stop people from, you know, dying. Um, so, <laughs> thanks, Grant. Wow, that's an Hot unhealthy boxing. reminder. Yeah, yeah. It is, that's just so wrong. <laughs> All right, uh, got George in Earlwood. Hello, George. How you going there, mate? Uh, I was, uh, my family's been in the restaurant game for a very long time. Uh, they had a, a famous pizzeria in Rose Bay from the 70s. And I remember the days up until about the 90s when they were still smoking in the kitchen <laughs> and serving people with a cigarette in their mouth from the 70s. From the 70s. It's and they, uh, famous for their smoked pizzas? Mate, it was, a busy, it was a busy, busy, busy place. And it was exactly like that. It was pretty full on. <laughs> and even when I started working in restaurants in the 90s, the early 90s, I still remember the days where you could still smoke in the kitchen. Yeah, mate, Hospo's always had a terrible record with smoking as well. Unfortunately, you know, in the past they've gone hand in hand or smoke in hand. Uh, got Greg in Sutherland. Hello, mate. G'day, mate. How you going? Yeah, good. All right. We're talking about the horrific days of the 80s when smoking was rampant. Uh, Ex-butcher. Um, when I started my apprenticeship, they used to, the butchers used to smoke in the butcher shop. And just leave their cigarettes burning on the edge of the old timber wooden blocks. Yeah. And just full of burn marks and, you know, because they'd go and serve a customer and a cigarette would burn out. So roll around the edges of the uh, butcher's blocks were all these burn marks. Oh. And, uh, and, you know, if Ash went into the sausages, oh, well, that's bad luck. You know, you didn't worry about it. Yeah, mate, well, you're putting enough flour and blood in them anyway, so, you <laughs> they, know. They wouldn't know. There are lots of things went in them. Yeah, <laughs> no, don't, don't tell us, Greg. I enjoy snags. <laughs> Bit of a local story. The New South Wales government has spent a tidy little $12.7 million on advertising for the Tomorrow's Sydney computer commuter, not computer, commuter disruption campaign. So, you know, there's a lot of tunnels being built at the mm. moment. Uh, there's the, we've got the West Connects, we've got the light rail. It's it's all over the place. Everywhere you go in Sydney at the moment, it feels as though there's some sort of major infrastructure going on, which of course we need. Not arguing that, you know, if, if tunnels seem to be the most viable option. I mean, look, the Cross City Tunnel, that's been amazing. Yeah. The way it doesn't connect to the Eastern hey, Distributor, the it's fantastic. I nearly, I nearly used it efficiently one day and I went, whoa, hang on a second, did I nearly spend eight bucks going where I wanted? No, thank you. Mez, what would you say if I could get the Cross City Tunnel named in your honour? I would not have that blemish <laughs> on my reputation. <laughs> I would ra- I'm going to start would, a campaign. I would, no, I would rather have a campaign a... that has said that I've, I'm wanted for questioning by the police. I'm going to doctor your will so that it says your Do final n- wish is to have this uh, Cross City Tunnel renamed the Merrick Watts Memorial Tunnel. Don't. It's got you thinking about Don't. your death now, hasn't it? No, no, you? no. I'm just thinking I'm only slightly more popular than that tunnel. <laughs> says a lot. So the uh, Tomorrow's Sydney, Tomorrow's Sydney campaign... Uh, to inform people that the reason why they're having a shocking time in traffic is because we're upgrading the roads, $12.7 million. But here's a great one. The government has also spent a further $423,000 to track its effectiveness. 
So not, not, not of the infrastructure. Not of, not, not of the infrastructure. Yeah. Not of the infrastructure. No, no. That's $420,000. Somebody has been paid to come back and say, yeah, you know what? Tomorrow's Sydney, as a campaign, is having a real effect. <laughs> Those billboards that we spent 12... Here's the thing. If you've spent $12.7 million and you haven't had an effect in advertising, you're possibly you're a radio company. I don't know. <laughs> I like the idea. It is one. It is one person who's been paid that. Yep. And they're just walking around going, "What do you reckon? Pretty oh, good. It's yeah, pretty good." <laughs> well, I'm going to give you four hundred and twenty-three thousand dollars. Well, thank you because I did say it was effective. <laughs> You've got to ask yourself, who was the brains trust that came up with Sydney's Tomorrow as an ad campaign? That's right. A group of men. Women wouldn't have been involved. They're Correct. way too logical and have far too much to offer. It would have been a bunch of blokes possibly, and they're sitting in a room and they had to come up with the idea to sell through to Sydney why they need a campaign so that they can offset all the damage that's done publicly with the the traffic problems and snarls that have been created by Sydney's, tomorrow's Sydney. Gents, thanks for your time. I've got a pretty important initiative to work on for the New South Wales government. Does it involve fireworks? Of course it does. It's in Sydney. Uh, now, you may have noticed that there's a hell of a lot of roadworks going on around Sydney. Oh, what an absolute disaster. What, what f- we came up with that idea? We did. Remember? Oh, yeah. It was after that pub lunch. Mm. Oh, that's right. Six billion dollars? I, I think I had the schnitzel. Yeah, you did. Mm. I had the pork knuckle. Yeah, how good were those German beers? Did oh. you... It was a heifer So good. Oh, brilliant. Mm. Hoppy. Anyway, uh, we've cost the taxpayers $6 billion. Shit, how, how much were the schnitzels? No, it wasn't the schnitzels. It was the infrastructure planning where we agreed that we should build heaps of tunnels. Oh, those tunnels. Jeez, you'd have to be so blind. We were. I was munted. <laughs> anyway, now we have to come up with a marketing plan that makes people in Sydney think our tunnels plan is awesome. What have you got? Tunnels. They're awesome. Oh, that's good. Really good. That'll work for the Olympics too, I reckon. Jeff? What about Sydney? Today, tomorrow and beyond. Great. What does it mean? Nothing. Perfect. It's too long. It confuses me. Too many big words. Yeah, he's right. I was losing interest there halfway. Halfway? It's only five words long. Sydney, today, tomorrow and beyond. Yeah, short, punchy, but let Sydney know that even though they're paying for it now, they're really going to pay for it in the future. Tomorrow's Sydney? Yeah, exactly. They're rooted. No, no, no. That's the slogan. Tomorrow's Sydney. Oh, love it. That is great. Job well done. Hey, who feels like a schnitzel? Yeah. Well, he's part of the Triple M footy calling team. Mark Howard has got his own podcast on Podcast One. You can download the app from iTunes or, you know, wherever the computer stuff is. You find it. <laughs> you know how to do it. Uh, his new podcast is called Howie's Games Series 2. He joins me now. G'day, mate. Great to have you in the studios. Yeah, great to be on, mate. Love to have a chat with you about the Howie Games and uh, nice to speak to you, brother. Mate, obviously it's pretty simple. You speak to athletes, you have a chat to them about their career and you find, you know, dig a little bit deeper into those stories. In uh, this episode of your podcast, you're speaking to Kathy Freeman. Yeah, the first episode kicks off uh, today, actually, and uh, I sat down with Kathy Freeman about three weeks ago, mm-hmm. and I knew Kathy reasonably well from back in the day, but she was always quite a quiet, reserved lady. I think Kathy Freeman has now come to grips with what she achieved. She's got a, a, a lovely young daughter, and I think she's happy to speak about it more. But, Mez, to, to sit with people like Kathy Freeman, and I watched that race, and it, it had a big effect on me, like most Australians, to get to sit down with Kathy for an hour and a half and just gas bag. Yeah, it's pretty cool. She's a great ambassador for a sport in Australia. I was actually fortunate enough at the 2000 Olympics to see her in the qualifier 
yep. the for the four hundred. So the last race that she went uh, uh, before she went into the final there, and there was a real feeling at that at that stage like, wow, she's gonna she's really gonna do this. Did she did she have a sense that she was going to win gold at the two thousand Olympics? You reckon? Yeah, it's amazing. You talked to her about that four years because me, I would think the pressure that is going to be on you, Kathy Freeman. And she said she loved to embrace that pressure and feel that pressure. But she said when she stood on the start line, she fully expected to win gold. But yeah, she had her issues. She did talk about about three months out, almost having a, a slight, almost a little breakdown where she thought, oh, I can't do this. This is going to be too much, too big, too much pressure. But obviously she did go on and do it. That's how I feel uh, each and every day before I come into the studio, <laughs> Howie. How am I going to do this? The pressure, <laughs> the pressure. I think we can all read that on my face and in my voice. Mate, let's listen to some audio of you talking mm. to Kathy Freeman as she uh, about her arrival into the stadium. I've never really described these moments in the way I am now. So, yeah. Um, but I remember there was my masseuse, my training partner, and my coach, and quite hush sort of feeling. And and it's in that moment where you feel like you're a lamb going off to slaughter, and I mean that. <laughs> Wholeheartedly, like wow. you're you're so vulnerable, and it's like, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but you don't say that out loud, or you don't think it. You just body knows it. Howie, I see what you're saying. She seems to be speaking more candidly. She sounds a lot more relaxed and a lot less timid than I've heard her in the past. Yeah, and I was really surprised because I know Kathy, but I, I didn't expect her. The, the, the podcast goes for about an hour and 20 minutes on the Howie Games. The last 40 minutes picks up from there when she arrived at the stadium and she blew me away. And obviously the, the historic commentary of Bruce McAvaney saying, mm. what a legend, what a champion. And then Raylene Boyle chipping in with wonderful commentary saying, what a relief. That was always the historical record there for mm. Mez. We thought mm. Kathy felt mm. relieved. But as you're about to hear, Kathy Freeman, when she crossed the line and she was bent over, she felt anything but relief. That's another thing that burns a bit away at me is that I just, I know I could have run faster than what I actually have, but that's fine. <laughs> um, yeah, I know. You, you don't look at that night and think I could have run faster, do you? I actually crossed the line, looked across at the time, 49.1. I was immediately disappointed because I would have loved to have run 48. And I remember looking at Mori, good old Mori Plant, who was with the B, BBC, and I just remember leaning over with my hands were on my knees and just shaking my head and thinking, oh. yeah. So that head shake was disappointment at your time? Yeah. Wow. See, like, I'm never, disa- I'm never disappointed with myself and I've never done anything. <laughs> <laughs> Could not no. find two more different people, Howie. And, and I couldn't believe that when she was telling me that because we, we'd been taught that it was relief and we expected it was relief yeah, and joy. Yeah, yeah. Yet she, on that historic moment at Sydney Olympic Stadium, looked across and was shattered because she hadn't run a better time. Come it, on, Kathy. It really is now worrying me about some of the expressions I've seen on my <laughs> wife's face late at yeah. night. It's... <laughs> Oh, my God. I've got it all wrong. Howie, who else are we going to see in this series of Howie Games Series 2? Yeah, some beauties. Uh, Cadell Evans comes up. Mick Fanning comes up. Obviously, yep. he's had an interesting time of it lately. Uh, Mark Webber as well. Bruce McAvaney. Uh, Phil Liggett, the cycling commentator. Mm. So there's some great guests on there. John Bertrand, too, going back to mm. the America's Cup. So basically, it's sports S- porn for me, Mez. I look back yeah. and think, what did I remember and enjoy? Can I get onto these people? So any legends joining you? <laughs> yeah, no, really struggling for guests. Uh, you went to school with Cadell, didn't you? Yeah, I did. I went to high school with Cadell Evans, and I was telling the boys in the office the other day when we were 
talking about the, you know, the Tour de France on, uh, talking about my memories of Cadell Evans at high school. And I remember getting mm. the bus with my mates uh, into town after high school. And there was a kid that every single day used to race the bus on his push bike. And we used to go, oh, nice one, winner. Ride your bike. Ride your bike. Okay. And then he went on to become a gajillionaire and one yeah. of the greatest athletes of all time. Here's the message. Don't be Merrick. Yeah. <laughs> Or ride your bike. Hey, the thing that hit me with Cadell, uh, when he rode the Tour de France when he won it in 2011, his maximum heart rate, and I know as a fit man like you, you can identify this, mm. uh, his maximum heart rate was 187. And so you ask him, Cadell, at your peak when you're going up the Alpe de Huez, et cetera, what's your maximum? What are you getting to? And he said, well, my maximum's 187. I get when I'm really redlining, as they call it, to 180. So only seven off his maximum heart rate. So, Cadell, how long you can do that for? A minute, two minutes? Oh, yeah, I can sit on that for about an hour. Jesus. <laughs> Correct. Wow. So I'm sure Mrs. Evans is pretty yeah. happy as well, not as opposed to, to your Mrs. Bang! Anyway. And that is us. We are out. The Howie Games, you can get it on Podcast One. You can download the app. It's available now. Good on you, mate. Good on you, Mess. Appreciate it. Take it easy. Thank you for visiting Merrickville. And be a Merrickvillian. Uh, Merrickvillite. Merrickvilleman. Join us on Facebook or Twitter at Merrickville FM 104.9 Triple M.